0: March for Our Lives, one of the most powerful youth-led coalitions in American history, was born on Valentine's Day of 2018, just hours after a 19-year-old gunman took the lives of 17 people and left many more injured at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. In response to a tsunami of media requests in those first few days, Brendan Duff became the de facto communications manager for March for Our Lives. In the beginning, he and his team used social media to spread their message and organized the single largest protest against gun violence. This historic event solidified a global movement and its leaders quickly realized that creating long-lasting change was going to require some serious political clout. To gain that critical support, March for Our Lives mounted a campaign to increase turnout among young voters and to seek out partners in the business world who are ready to take a stand on gun control.
1: For 2020, as is consistent with years past, government and media and politics have a severe lack of trust amongst the public, while businesses still are are pretty high up there. So people really do trust businesses and brands to be doing the right thing and, and in many cases leading this social change. And I think that that's been very representative of what we've seen with March for Our Lives I think I've already seen a major uptick in, in companies wanting to be a part of the solution, wanting to put purpose on the same playing field and on the same platform as profit, and you know just not wanting to look like we're doing the right thing but actually helping out. I've seen within the last two years a, a willingness to be able to engage further than, than what was customary previously, and I can't help but feel like that is a direct result of activism and of people taking note of these trends among young people and and especially thinking about who is going to be leading these organizations and companies in the future, who is going to be leading our country in the future, you know, I think it's, it's right and it's a smart move to be working with the activists of today, now.
0: Welcome to PR Future, the podcast that delivers interesting insights into the dynamic world of public relations. Our first few episodes take a deep dive into what we call New Activism to better understand how activists are using traditional PR tools to deliver their messages and how PR professionals can form successful partnerships with activists to create long-lasting change. Today we will continue the journey of Brendan Duff, co-founder of March for Our Lives, who is graduating from Elon University this year with a degree in strategic communications. In this episode, Brendan will explain how March for Our Lives evolved from a determined group of high school friends into a respected global organization, and what the future holds for this impressive group of young activists. I'm Fred Cook from the USC Center for Public Relations at the Annenberg School, and this is PR Future. Our most recent global communication report shows that PR professionals believe activism is more effective in raising awareness than in creating long-lasting change. Brendan suggests that the key to achieving long-lasting change lies in having a clear vision of what you want to accomplish and getting to the root causes of the issue that you're trying to solve and then adapting and expanding your message when necessary.
1: I I think it's about having a vision for whatever you want to accomplish early on, and also having different vessels or vehicles to accomplish that mission. Um, So what I mean by that is when we first started taking to media and first started getting all of this national attention, it was all about the Parkland survivors. And so by the time of the March for Our Lives, we came out with five policy points. And we did that so that it was easy for everyone to remember and that it, like everyone could stay on message and that we could have five big asks that we knew we weren't gonna get all of, but that we thought accurately covered the gun violence epidemic and that we could see the most direct results in from enacting these pieces of legislation. By the time we got to the March for Our Lives, we had expanded that to be 10. And then we've also unveiled a peace plan for a safer America. And the reason I'm telling you this is because it signifies how the movement has expanded so much more and has encompassed and and taken in so much more than just Parkland. Um, By the time of the March for Our Lives, we had representation in our speakers from um, Milwaukee and from Los Angeles and from DC and from Chicago and really just representing the multiple facets of the gun violence epidemic. So people that had been touched by suicide, by domestic violence, by everyday shootings on the streets, by school shootings, um, just kind of all of these different facets of the gun violence epidemic to show people that, you know, even though school shootings are the ones that seem the most atrocious because they're the ones that seem the most senseless, um, there are so many other parts of this gun violence epidemic and there are so many other ways to address it. And I think that that's how we were able to say this is absolutely a long term goal. This is long term change. It's not going to happen overnight. If we get background checks passed, if we get red flag laws passed, even if we get ban assault weapons ban passed, it's not going to stop every facet of gun violence. Which means our movement, our issue, our mission has not been met. Um, so we were going to, we we needed to kind of broaden and include more people so that we could, um, speak to the other sides of gun violence, not just school shootings, so that we could be sustainable, that we could stay relevant, um, and remain within the conversation and not just raise awareness for how terrible school shootings are, but raise awareness and give actionable steps for how we can actually present mass shootings in the future.
0: But messaging is only part of the story. Like every smart campaign, when the time was right, March for Our Lives shifted their strategy to become much more than a protest movement.
1: I definitely see the March for Our Lives and the organization and mobilization efforts that went into the first big March for Our Lives protest on March 24th in 2018, I see all of those efforts and I see everything that happened that day being activism, absolutely. But I do think that every single day we've spent working since then has also been activism. And I think that it's, it's really broadened in the activism community to be so much more than just your pro- traditional protests and uh, rallies. In fact, I think that that's not even seen as a strategy, that's seen as a tactic in the activism world. I I think that that point would resonate strongly with with March for Our Lives um, members as well. We wanted to raise awareness so that there was enough public will and political will and enough public opinion on one side of this to be able to affect these policy points. Ultimately, when we broke it down to its simplest form and when we zoomed out as far as we possibly could have, it began with voting and it began with having people in office that represented our ideology and our stance on this issue enough that they would be able to stand up against the gun lobby and stand up against the lack of political will to do anything on this issue to get some significant legislation passed. So raising awareness is is crucial. It it can, in in cases like ours, it can absolutely start with these large-scale protests and rallies. We saw the step one as being the march, and that's kind of the springboard for this amazing large youth voter turnout that we wanted to enact in the midterm election just a few months down the road, later that year in 2018.
0: Well, Following on that train of thought, everyone sees activism growing in the future. And the main reason they said was just lack of faith and trust in the political system, because they don't aren't expecting much from the government. They're looking to business, to um, the corporate world, to sort of lead change on some of these critical issues. Have you found good partners in the corporate world? Do you feel like that's a, 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 an opportunity for you?
1: For corporate um, involvement and and corporate relation to our movement and to other movements in the realm of social change and activism i think we've seen two kinds of responses one response is the the walmart and the dicks response it's not that they acted some way that that caused something directly but it's that their their policies or their sales or whatever was was lending itself to these kinds of um, events and so Obviously, Dick Sporting Goods we saw really soon, even, even before students at Marjory Stoneman Douglas High School went back to school, um, Dick Sporting Goods decided to take guns off their shelves. And and that, you know, I think that that was an, a choice that they knew was gonna cost them a little bit of business and was gonna create some backlash, but um, knew that it was the right thing to do. We saw that kind of response, which is similar to the Walmart response where they decided to ban the sale of handguns and ammunition and encourage, um people to not do open carry within their stores, as well as vowed to do um, background checks and push push Congress on, on enacting background checks. To me, that response, um, or I guess that involvement, is a direct response to the activism and, and the, the scrutiny that they were facing in many forms, but also just the influx, the rise of activism. Whereas on the other side of things we've seen, a direct support of the activism that we've seen so that is more of a partnership that thing that you were alluding to earlier um and just some brands that stand out to me that like i've specifically worked with in my time at march for Allies lives are levi's so levi's has has really supported us from the beginning and they've kind of created their own lane um within their corporate res- social responsibility and just within their corporation of gun violence prevention. They've donated to gun violence prevention spaces and they've included us within a lot of projects that they've done and have really continued their support. Other brands like this are Tom's, did a a large campaign with us called End Gun Violence Together. And so I, I think those are the two kind of engagements you see within the corporate world right now are responses to activism and support of activism.
0: How does March for Our Lives decide which companies they want to work with or which companies you will join partnerships with?
1: So it, it's got to be authentic and there needs to be actionable steps that are taken to in, in order for it to be something that we're going to kind of give a win for what we call slacktivism, which is essentially just surface level lip service that is saying, yeah, we're we're, we're supporting this organization or we might have their logo on one of our things, but we're not really doing anything to help them or we're not donating resources or time or ideas or anything. Um, it's not a true partnership. It's just kind of an association. So I don't think that activists and I don't think nonprofits today are down for that. I don't think that that works with, with today's activists because it, it's not authentic. And I think that it's in the age of social media, which is really, brought this kind of heightened focus on transparency, especially within big corporations. I think that we've seen people that are not willing to buy into that if it's not going to be authentic.
0: Our survey on new activism shows that the majority of PR professionals believe activists will become more influential in the next five years. Even though most corporate communicators don't proactively engage with activist groups today, Many of them predict they will in the future, and Brendan is seeing encouraging signs that point to a more collaborative relationship between activists and the corporate world. I already, I already have
1: seen a significant increase um, as long as I've been in this space, which is like just over two years now, um, and it's also been through our our lens of this all, which has been very different from traditional organizations and, and companies.
0: When we talk about the activists of today, we ask people in the communications what they thought that new activists look like. Younger, for sure, more urban, more tech savvy, more diverse, and also more female. You work with a lot of very sp- powerful females in March for Our Lives. That do you believe that that's that the females are gonna be driving this new activism? I
1: yeah, Fred, I I I don't just believe it. I definitely know it. I, I we've worked with so many badass women in March for Our Lives. I mean as long as I've known March for Our Lives, it's been definitely like all like women have been calling the shots. And I mean that's that's reflective of of Emma's we call BS speech so early on that just went absolutely viral. Jackie Corn, I have to mention too, is she, she started in the organization when she was 17 years old and she was junior class president and she was already insanely busy and just took on all of the operations of March for Our Lives. And I, I would have believed that she had been doing it for years. I do think that the empowerment of women and the empowerment of young, diverse voices, and especially from urban and black and brown communities, are absolutely at the forefront of the activism world and conversations and I honestly think that if your organization and your activism efforts aren't representative of the multiple facets of your issues so not just climate change but climate change equity for example not just school shootings but everyday shootings for example making sure that your organization represents the multiple facets of your issue, but also the people in your organization represent um, the United States. I think that is absolutely a, a qualification for um, a nonprofit or an organization or a group of activists to be legitimized.
0: Let me ask you about about you in your career. You're, you study communications, public relations, and you're an activist. You've got a foot in, in both the pr world and the activism world it seems like the activists today are adopting all of the modern pr techniques to deliver their message and and pr people are sort of you know becoming more purpose driven in their approach how how do you see these two things intersecting or impacting one another
1: activism again is is so it's not just the people that are rallying in the streets and protesting every day. You know, a lot of activists are on the other side of this and are working for PR firms or are working for big corporations and they consider themso- themselves activists and advocates too. Um, and oftentimes they're within the organization. So, and I think that that's, that's signifying how it's going to be a much more singular lane like the activism lane and the, and the PR corporate lane right now are going to start merging more together and strategies are gonna start coinciding but I don't think we're quite there yet. And I do think that we're taking each other's strategies. Definitely, like it's really funny. Uh, sometimes on the on calls within the organization or within our like the agency that we work with, we've gotten suggestions from them and we've gotten tr- suggestions from tr- traditional PR practitioners and been like, why have we never thought of that before? On the flip side of that, we've presented things that we've come up with or we've been like, yeah, we, we just started working on the social media campaign and the, the PR firm is like, we would never have come up with that. It's a give and take relationship right now where it's like we are totally enacting a lot of traditional media and a lot of traditional PR strategies. And I also think we're paving the way for a whole new side of, of PR strategy that's very like peer-to-peer based and very interpersonal, um, mostly through social media.
0: So we're learning from each other.
1: Yes, I, I would say so.
0: Looking into the future, where do you see... March for our lives in five and 10 years.
1: So my optimistic answer is that I would hope that March for our lives does not have to exist in 10 years. The end goal for March for our lives is to be able to move on and not have to exist as an organization where we have this pervasive fear of gun violence um, in our country. But of course, I think that's the optimistic answer. I think in order to really be successful and to remain relevant and to stay in the conversation and to continue this kind of fierce energy that we have. We took all of 2019 to make this a reality, but we need to be able to pass the baton in the organization. You know, the the Parkland story and the Parkland connection is always going to be the organization's foundation and that's always going to be the background. However, I think that it needs to be consistently youth-led, which means we need to be able to create the space, the infrastructure, and the sustainability to be able to pass down the baton and and make sure that this organization is, is ever-changing and ever-including new young people and new young voices in the conversation. As long as, as gun violence will be a thing, school shootings will be a thing, and as unfortunate as that is, we need people that are directly on the front lines of of this issue and so that's going to be people in high school and college and that's going to be young people i even feel at, at 22 that i'm i'm on the the older end of this now and yeah when when i was 20 when this all happened um myself and my friends matt and kaylin we were the oldest people in the organization and we were 20 and now at 22 i'm like all right i'm, I'm transitioning to the other side of this now so it's, it's, it's interesting, but I think in order for it to maintain its edge and its brand and its original purpose, it needs to stay youth-led, and that is completely incumbent on the people that are the leaders in the organization right now.
0: Coming from someone who's much older than 22, I fa- have found this movement so inspiring and so hopeful, and so I think I feel like a lot of other people my age were, we're pulling for you, and we hope that you can create the kind of long-lasting change that perhaps my generation wasn't able to do so thanks for all your hard work brendan and the rest of your group and thank you for joining us today we really appreciate it's it been a great conversation absolutely yeah it was my pleasure thank you so much fred the fight isn't over for march for our lives although the coronavirus has created some uncertainty about our future one thing is clear brendan and his contemporaries will continue to define what new activism looks like and the PR industry will be watching, and hopefully participating. Thanks for tuning in to PR Future, a progressive podcast created for PR professionals by PR professionals. To learn more, tap the link in the show notes to download your copy of New Activism and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode was produced by Ron Antoinette, Zazu Lippert, and Manuelita Maldonado. Special thanks to Kathy Park, Devin Herrod, and Sandra Stenisa, all from the USC Center for Public Relations. I'm your host, Fred Cook, and this is PR Future.